Hey, this is Ruth Friedman, and I serve as the Maharat at Ohev Shalom, the National Synagogue in Washington, D.C. And welcome back to my weekly Parsha podcast, Life Imitates Torah. And this week's Parsha is Vayetze, which tells the story of Yaakov fleeing from his house after Esau threatens to kill him, and at the direction of his mother Rivka, going to find her brother, his uncle, Lavan, and stay there. Now, Lavan is a very interesting character, and we see the most story about him in this week's Parsha. Um, he's not really one of the biblical villains that we think of, not like Paro, um, for example, but he also occupies a very villainous space in our collective conscience. Uh, so, for example, on Pesach, when we say Arami Oved Avi, uh, most people say that this was Lavan, right? An Aramean sought to destroy my father. And that therefore we remember Lavan in the context of someone who tried to kill Yaakov, someone who just tried to eliminate Yaakov and therefore the Jewish people from the face of the earth. And in that respect, we think of him as, of course, being a profoundly negative character. And so because this Parsha has the most of Lavan's story, I wanted to think about his character in more detail today and follow it through the trajectory of the Parsha. Um, and I think that one of the most interesting things about Lavan in the Parsha is the way that he begins begins in the Parsha as the savior, but by the end of the Parsha, he is a villain who Yaakov is basically screaming at and running away from and calling out for having cheated him for so many years. And Lavan, another important note to remember when, as we begin our study, is that Lavan this, in this week's Parsha is portrayed through the lens of Yaakov. We are actually introduced to Lavan in Parsha Chayesar two weeks ago, and we'll talk about the little that we know about him from there. But this is the first time that Yaakov meets Lavan. And I think it's important to recognize that really, as I said, the Parsha, Lavan in this week's Parsha is portrayed Dafka through the lens of Yaakov and not the objective narrator. Narrator. So when Yaakov arrives to Lavan's home in this week's Parsha, Lavan runs out to hug him and kiss him and bring him into his home. And Lavan says, you are my bones and my flesh. And it's this beautiful moment. Yaakov's finally safe. He's had to flee his home where his own brother threatened to kill him. And then he, he, he stops and he's alone in the middle of the night and you feel he's really someone, a, a fugitive on the run and, and someone who whose future is really unknown because he's so exposed to the elements and to danger. And then he has this just intense wave of relief comes over to him when he meets Rachel and realizes that he actually has a place to go and stay with Lavan. And so we begin the Parsha with Lavan being a very positive character, a source of respite, a final, a final place of safety um, after many days at the very least of, of intense danger. But then things begin to change a little bit. We next learn that Yaakov's been there for a month. And a month into it, Lavan says something very strange to Yaakov. He says, Yaakov, I should pay you. Why should you work for free? Now, that what does that reveal to us? That reveals to us that Yaakov had been living there, first of all, for a month. And that Yaakov had been working for Lavan in the time that he had been there. And that they hadn't really discussed wages until now. And maybe Lavan thought that Yaakov was working for him, uh, labor in exchange for room and board. But Lavan says, I should pay you. Why should you work for free? And I think that already just raises our eyebrows a little bit about Lavan as someone who has perhaps been taking advantage of Yaakov or at least been comfortable with this kind of weird 
um, arrangement of almost near servitude where you work for room and board. And now Lavon raises it and raises it in a context in which he appears to be a very generous person by saying, of course, I should pay you. You shouldn't work for free, right? He makes this grandiose statement, but it reveals about him that this is a, that this is a system that Lavon had already introduced. So that's something that, you know, it, it's not beyond the bounds of normalcy, but it should raise our eyebrows a little bit. And then, of course, the agreement is that he will work for seven years and then get to marry Rachel. And we all know what happens with Lavan, that he switches them at the last minute. And then Yaakov wakes up and realizes he's married Leah instead of Rachel. And Yaakov goes to Lavan and calls him out on it. And Lavan has this reaction of almost gaslighting Yaakov. He says, oh, well, it's not our custom to marry off the younger one before the older one. Almost like saying, you you know, you silly guy, like, of course, this isn't how we do it. But don't worry, next week you can marry Rachel and then just work another seven years to work it off. And so again, Yaakov ends up with what he wanted, which is to marry Rachel. But Lavan's behavior is becoming increasingly, increasingly questionable. And not only questionable, but I think that we also have to pay very close attention to the way that he speaks. And like I said, I called it gaslighting because he sort of says to Yaakov, they had an agreement. Yaakov works for seven years and then gets to marry Rachel. And now Lavan is saying to him, well, you, you goofball, like, why did you think that that was how it works? Of course, this isn't how it works. Well, how is Yaakov supposed to know that? That's what Lavan agreed to. And so it can, I'm sure Yaakov is already feeling like kind of looking over both of his shoulders, wondering, you know, did anyone else see what's happening here? Like confused, uncertain of what's going on. This guy, this uncle of his, who's providing him um, a, a safe place to be is also manipulating him. And it's just getting very, very fishy. Well, what's going on? And so by the time we get to the end of the 14 years, right, the seven, the seven years to get Rachel, but then it's Leah and then Rachel and then the other seven years to work it off, Yaakov wants to leave. God has said, you're going to go back to the land of Canaan. And so Yaakov, he wants to get out of there. And so he says to Lavan, um, I think, you know, if, if it's okay, I want to go back. But Lavan says, well, actually, wait a minute. You being here has made me pretty rich. I've been doing really well while you're here. So just, you know, just tell me what you want um, and let's make that happen. And Yaakov devises this plan with the sheep and the speckled and the spotted um, to make sure that he can actually get what he deserves. And that whole scene is very complicated and uh, but the point is that Yaakov devises a plan behind Lavan's back in order to make sure that he gets the sheep, enough sheep, so that when he leaves, he can have what he deserves. And you can point to that as saying, well, Yaakov here is a trickster, much like the rest of his life, he tricks people. Um, or you can say, this doesn't necessarily eliminate the idea that Yaakov is a trickster, but also that he's in a situation in which he has to trick Lavan, because he doesn't trust that Lavan is actually going to give him what he deserves and actually let him leave. That Lavan is someone who's trying to take advantage of him as much as possible. And so that works for six years and Yaakov's able to amass a huge flock um, of sheep and, and animals and really build up his wealth so that he can flee with his family. But before he takes that final initiative to do so, he hears Lavan's sons murmuring that here's Yaakov and he's trying to steal all of our stuff and get rich off of our father. And that's when he knows it's really time to get out of there. And so he calls to Rachel and Leah, and he explains to them that they have to leave and that what's going on, and God has told them they have to get out of there. And they openly say in unison, yeah, we know, 
our dad has cheated. He's taken our bride money. He's taken your money. He's stolen from his relatives, right? He's trying to take advantage of us as much as possible and trying to take advantage of you as much as possible. And they just open their mouths and confirm what Yako has been suspecting and slowly learning over the past 20 years, which is that Lovin presents as nice and loving, but in truth, he is a cheater. And once this happens, then they really, they try to run as fast as possible. Yaakov manages, tells Lavan to go so that he's three days away. And then they bolt. They all try to get out of there. Lavan learns that they've run away. And so then he tries to chase after them. And then God appears to him and says, don't you dare try to, don't you dare touch Yaakov. And so then Lavan still is able to see Yaakov. And then he says, why did you run away? I would have sent you away with gifts. You don't have anything to fear. This 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 bold-faced lie that Lavan says, why would you run away? I just want to say goodbye to you. I would have given you gifts. Like, and it's just amazing because no, he wouldn't have. He's been trying to steal from Yaakov all this time. Um, but he's been doing it in a veneer of generosity. And Lavan here says, No, I would have sent you away with all these gifts, like you didn't have anything to worry about. And Yaakov has this pretty amazing reaction where he just throws it all back at Lavan's face and, and just calls it out for what it is. He says, no, you've actually been taking from me for the past 20 years. Here's all the things you've been doing. Um, and basically just says, like, you're full of it. You're lying. And no, here's like all the stuff that you've been doing. And so again, that's the trajectory of the development of Lavan over the course of this week's Parsha, beginning as this, this person representing salvation from the fear of the unknown and from the turmoil in his family that Yaakov's unable to return to. And now we end here with Yaakov just yelling directly at Lavan, calling him out and saying, no, you've been stealing from me. You're completely lying. And we're going, we're getting out of here. So my question is, why do we, why does the Torah present it in this light? Why does Lavan, why isn't he just a villain from the outset, right? What's the point of us getting to witness the development of this relationship between Lavan and Yaakov? And I think that it, it, it's really here, I think, to teach us an important lesson about Lavan's personality and how we should act and how we should detect behaviors in other people. Um, and, and, we see here that what type of guy is Lavan? Lavan really at the heart of it, he's just a fake guy. He is someone who masquerades as a good guy and someone who acts as though he's charitable and he's kind and he's giving and that he goes above and beyond to care for people in his life. But in truth, he's actually cheap. He's sometimes even just downright stealing from them, right? He, he sort of thinks that as long as he can be nice at the outset, internally and behind the scenes, he can do whatever he wants, which is why I think one of the reasons that when Rachel and Leah say in unison, yeah, we know he's been stealing and it's time to get out of here. It's so profound because these are two sisters who've really been at odds with each other in the rest of the Parsha, the love, the unloved, the beautiful, the soft eyes, the have children, the don't have children. And yet here, what's the one thing they can both get behind? Yeah, our dad, he's a thief. That's pretty striking when you think about Lavan um, and families, right? And, and the, the, what, what unites people who are at odds about anything else is both the knowledge that here's a guy who's a bad guy. And um, as many people point out, if you arrange the letters of Lavan Ha'arami, you get Naval Haramai. 
which is sort of a, 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 a naval who tricks people. Now, what's a naval? Um, as we see elsewhere, naval, it's a bad person, um, but not just a bad person. It's someone who masquerades as being a good person but doesn't actually have good intentions. Someone who tr who pretends to do the right thing, but their heart isn't in it. And not only is their heart not in it, but they just, they actually, by doing good, they're able to, to present as good people, but actually be bad people um, on the inside. And so I think it's interesting that the, the that this point is sort of universally pointed out, um, even though normally I'm not such a rearrange the letters type of person, that really at the heart of it, Lavan Ha'arami, his name means white, which we associate with purity, with, with being, you know, Toho Kibaro, like your inside is like your outside, and yet um, that's just his actual presentation and really on the inside he is this this tricker who who just acts like a good person but really is not actually at all and i think that that's why the parsha tells lavan through the lens of yaakov yaakov here through the parsha learns that lavan who initially to him appears as the best thing he could have found the person to welcome into his home give him a, a roof over his head and food to eat actually has been stealing right under his nose this entire time. And it's interesting because we, as the readers of the Torah, we already know that Lavan's suspicious. Because back in Chai Sarah, when he sees his sister come home with all of this jewelry, then he says to, to Eliezer, oh, come on in, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But why would the Torah point out that Rivka had all of this jewelry if Lavan was actually a good person. If Lavan was a good person, it wouldn't matter that Rivka had all of these nice things before Lavan welcomed her and welcomed Eliezer into his home. What matters is that Lavan saw that and he said, ooh, this is an opportunity. And then he acted nicely. And so, but we, but Yaakov doesn't know that, only we know that. And now we watch Yaakov learn that lesson on his own. And so just the final question is why? What's the value in us watching Yaakov learn that lesson? What's the value of Lavan being such a complex character? Not someone who's, who's straight, good, or evil, but really someone who, who tries to have the best of both worlds. And I think that that's, that it's actually um, a pretty profound lesson for us of where we find bad behavior, of where we find villains. Uh, you know, it's easy to look at someone who is Toho Kabaro on the bad end, someone who presents, who's a bad person and also presents as a bad person. That's the easy one. It's, uh, it's easy to point to them and say, yeah, that's a bad person. But we all know people who want to act like good people but not actually be good people. We all know people who think that they can have the best of both worlds, to act like they're charitable, to act like they're giving, to act like they're loving and to act like they're caring, but really they're not actually. And it's, it's that's a painful lesson to learn with those types of people, but it's also important. And I think that it, it, it's a good reminder for us that first of all, if someone presents a good person, but your gut says, hmm, something's fishy over here. Well, that's a good thing is to listen to your gut and to know that something's wrong. Just like Yaakov is able, he learns to listen to his gut and to know that something's not right. But also it's a good lesson for all of us that being a good person is not just about saying the right thing at the right time and you know, writing the right check because you think that it's gonna get you the attention. Being a good person is about actually believing the good things that you are doing. And that when we try to just present that as one, but we don't actually mean it. We're not fooling anybody. 
I think that that's really the best significance of Rachel and Leah saying in unison, we know our dad's been stealing. I'm sure that Lavan went through his life thinking that his daughters thought he was a good person, so charitable, so generous, da, 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 da. He never would have actually admitted that what he was doing was wrong. But the point of that is, yeah, you know what? When you're doing something like that, yeah, everyone can tell. You're not fooling anybody. And so it's an important lesson about human behavior, both for us to be able to trust our own gut when something feels wrong, and also to remember that if we're going to do something right, it's important to actually believe in it. So I wish you a Shabbat Shalom and a happy Thanksgiving.